Hello, this is Jeff Barnum reading the Supreme Court Opinion Syllabus in Sackett et Ux versus Environmental Protection Agency et al. Certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued October 3rd, 2022. Decided May 25th, 2023. Petitioners Michael and Chantel Sackett purchased property near Priest Lake, Idaho, and began backfilling the lot with dirt to prepare for building a home. The Environmental Protection Agency informed the Sacketts that their property contained wetlands and that their backfilling violated the Clean Water Act, which prohibits discharging pollutants into the waters of the United States, 33 United States Code, Section 1362, subparagraph 7. The EPA ordered the Sacketts to restore the site, threatening penalties of over $40,000 per day. The EPA classified the wetlands on the Sackett's lot as waters of the United States because they were near a ditch that fed into a creek which fed into Priest Lake, a navigable intrastate lake. The Sackett's sued, alleging their property was not waters of the United States. The district court entered summary judgment for the EPA. The Ninth Circuit affirmed, holding that the CWA covers wetlands with an ecologically significant nexus to traditional navigable waters, and that the Sackett's wetlands satisfy that standard. Held, the CWA's use of waters in Section 1362, subparagraph 7, refers only to geographical features that are described in ordinary parlance as streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes, and to adjacent wetlands that are indistinguishable from those bodies of water due to a continuous surface connection. Rapinos v. United States, 547 U.S. at 715, case from 2006. To assert jurisdiction over an adjacent wetland under the CWA, a party must establish, first, that the adjacent body of water constitutes waters of the United States, i.e. a relatively permanent body of water connected to traditional interstate navigable waters, and second, that the wetland has a continuous surface connection with that water, making it difficult to determine where the water ends and the wetland begins. The uncertain meaning of the waters of the United States has been a persistent problem, sparking decades of agency action and litigation. Resolving the CWA's applicability to wetlands requires a review of the history surrounding the interpretation of that phrase. During the period relevant to this case, two federal agencies charged with the enforcement of the CWA, the EPA, and the Army Corps of Engineers, similarly defined the waters of the United States broadly to encompass all waters that could affect interstate or foreign commerce. The agencies likewise gave an expansive interpretation of wetlands adjacent to those waters, defining adjacent to mean bordering, contiguous, or neighboring. In United States versus Riverside Bayview Homes Incorporated, a case from 1985, the court confronted the Corps' assertion of authority under the CWA over wetlands that actually abutted on a navigable waterway. Although concerned that the wetlands fell outside traditional notions of waters, the court deferred to the Corps, 
reasoning that the transition from water to solid ground is not necessarily or even typically an abrupt one. Following Riverside Bayview, the agencies issued the Migratory Bird Rule, extending CWA jurisdiction to any waters or wetlands that are or would be used as a habitat by migratory birds or endangered species. The court rejected the rule after the court sought to apply it to several isolated ponds located wholly within the state of Illinois, holding that the CWA does not extend to ponds that are not adjacent to open water. Solid Waste Agency of Northern Cook County versus Army Corps of Engineers, or SWANC, 531 U.S. at 159, a case from 2001. The agencies responded by instructing their field agents to determine the scope of the CWA's jurisdiction on a case-by-case basis. Within a few years, the agencies had interpreted their jurisdiction over the waters of the United States to cover 270 to 300 million acres of wetlands and virtually any parcel of land containing a channel or conduit through which rainwater or drainage may occasionally or intermittently flow. Against that backdrop, the court in Rapinos vacated a lower court decision that had held that the CWA covered wetlands near ditches and drains that emptied into navigable waters several miles away. As to the rationale for vacating, however, no position in Rapinos commanded a majority of the court. Four justices concluded that the CWA's coverage was limited to certain relatively permanent bodies of water connected to traditional interstate navigable waters, and to wetlands that are as a practical matter indistinguishable from those waters. Justice Kennedy, concurring only in the judgment, wrote that CWA jurisdiction over adjacent wetlands requires a significant nexus between the wetland and its adjacent navigable waters which exists when the wetlands, either alone or in combination with similarly situated lands in the region, significantly affect the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of those waters. Following Rapinos, field agents brought nearly all waters and wetlands under the risk of CWA jurisdiction by engaging in fact-intensive significant nexus determinations that turned on a lengthy list of hydrological and ecological factors. Under the agency's current rule, traditional navigable waters, interstate waters, and the territorial seas, as well as their tributaries and adjacent wetlands, are waters of the United States. So too are any intrastate lakes and ponds, streams, or wetlands that either have a continuous surface connection to categorically included waters or have a significant nexus to interstate or traditional navigable waters. Finding a significant nexus continues to require consideration of a list of open-ended factors. Finally, the current rule returns to the agency's long-standing definition of adjacent. Landowners who even negligently discharge pollutants into navigable waters without a permit potentially face severe criminal and civil penalties under the Act. As things currently stand, the agencies maintain that the significant nexus test is sufficient to establish jurisdiction over adjacent wetlands. By the EPA's own admission, nearly all waters and wetlands are 
potentially susceptible to regulation under this test, putting a staggering array of landowners at risk of criminal prosecution for such mundane activities as moving dirt. Next, the court considers the extent of the CWA's geographical reach. To make sense of Congress's choice to define navigable waters as the waters of the United States, the court concludes that the CWA's use of waters encompasses only those relatively permanent, standing, or continuously flowing bodies of water forming geographical features that are described in ordinary parlance as streams, oceans, rivers, and lakes. This reading follows from the CWA's deliberate use of the plural waters, which refers to those bodies of water listed above, and also helps to align the meaning of the waters of the United States with the defined term navigable waters. More broadly, this reading accords with how Congress has employed the term waters elsewhere in the CWA, CEG 33 United States Code, sections 1261, subparagraph I to D, and section 1268A3L, and in other laws, CEG 60 United States Code, section 745, and 4701, subparagraph A7. The court has understood CWA's use of waters in the same way. The EPA's insistence that water is naturally read to encompass wetlands because the presence of water is universally regarded as the most basic feature of wetlands proves too much. It is also tough to square with Swansea's exclusion of isolated ponds or Riverside Bayview's extensive focus on the adjacency of wetlands to covered waters. Finally, it is difficult to see how the state's responsibilities and rights in regulating water resources would remain primary if the EPA had such broad jurisdiction. Statutory context shows that some wetlands nevertheless qualify as waters of the United States. Specifically, Section 1344, subparagraph G1, which authorizes states to conduct certain permitting programs, specifies that discharges may be permitted into any waters of the United States, except for traditional navigable waters, including wetlands adjacent thereto, suggesting that at least some wetlands must qualify as waters of the United States. But Section 1344G1 cannot define what wetlands the CWA regulates because it is not the operative provision that defines the Act's reach. Instead, the reference to adjacent wetlands in Section 1344G1 must be harmonized with the waters of the United States, which is the operative term that defines the CWA's reach. Because the adjacent wetlands in 1344G1 are included, within waters of the United States, these wetlands must qualify as waters of the United States in their own right, i.e. be indistinguishably part of a body of water that itself constitutes waters under the CWA. To hold otherwise would require implausibly concluding that Congress tucked an important expansion to the reach of the CWA into convoluted language in a relatively obscure provision concerning state permitting programs. Understanding the CWA to apply to wetlands that are distinguishable from otherwise covered waters of the United States would substantially broaden Section 1362, subparagraph 7, to include navigable waters 
as the waters of the United States and adjacent wetlands. But Section 1344G1's use of the term including makes clear that it does not purport to do any such thing. It merely reflects Congress's assumption that certain adjacent wetlands are part of the waters of the United States. To determine when a wetland is part of adjacent waters of the United States, the Court agrees with the Rapinos plurality that the use of waters in Section 1362 sub 7 may be fairly read to include only wetlands that are indistinguishable from waters of the United States. This occurs only when wetlands have a continuous surface connection to bodies that are waters of the United States in their own right, so that there is no clear demarcation between waters and wetlands. In sum, the CWA extends to only wetlands that are as a practical matter indistinguishable from waters of the United States. This requires the party asserting jurisdiction to establish, first, that the adjacent body of water constitutes waters of the United States, i.e. a relatively permanent body of water connected to traditional interstate navigable waters, and second, that the wetland has a continuous surface connection with that water, making it difficult to determine where the water ends and the wetland begins. The EPA asked the court to defer to its most recent rule, providing that adjacent wetlands are covered by the CWA if they possess a significant nexus to traditional navigable waters, and that wetlands are adjacent when they are neighboring to covered waters. For multiple reasons, the EPA's position lacks merit. The EPA's interpretation is inconsistent with the CWA's text and structure and clashes with background principles of construction that apply to the interpretation of the relevant provisions. First, exceedingly clear language is required if Congress wishes to alter the federal-state balance or the government's power over private property. The court has thus required a clear statement from Congress when determining the scope of the waters of the United States. Second, the EPA's interpretation gives rise to serious vagueness concerns in light of the CWA's criminal penalties, thus implicating the due process requirement that penal statutes be defined with sufficient definiteness that ordinary people can understand what conduct is prohibited. Where penal statutes could sweep broadly enough to render criminal a host of what might otherwise be considered ordinary activities, the court has been wary about going beyond what Congress certainly intended the statute to cover. Under these two principles, the judicial task when interpreting the waters of the United States is to ascertain whether clear congressional authorization exists for the EPA's claimed power. The EPA claims that Congress ratified the EPA's regulatory definition of adjacent when it amended the CWA to include the reference to adjacent wetlands in Section 1344G1. This argument fails for at least three reasons. First, the text of sections 1362 sub 7 and 1344 sub g shows that adjacent cannot include wetlands that are merely nearby covered waters. Second, EPA's argument cannot be reconciled with this court's repeated recognition that section 1344g1 does not conclusively determine the construction to be placed on the relevant definition of navigable waters. 
Third, the EPA falls short of establishing the sort of overwhelming evidence of acquiescence necessary to support its argument in the face of Congress's failure to amend Section 1362 sub 7. Finally, the EPA's various policy arguments about the ecological consequences of a narrower definition of adjacent are rejected. Reversed and remanded. Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Thomas, Gorsuch, and Barrett joined. Justice Thomas filed a concurring opinion, in which Justice Gorsuch joined. Justice Kagan filed an opinion concurring in the judgment, in which Justices Sotomayor and Jackson joined. Justice Kavanaugh filed an opinion concurring in the judgment, in which Justices Sotomayor, Kagan, and Jackson joined. Thank you for listening. Please help us by rating and reviewing the podcast, and by subscribing using your favorite podcasting service. And as the term draws to a close, opinions will be coming fast and furious, and subscribing ensures you get all of the episodes automatically downloaded. If you wish to communicate with the podcast, please email us at scotusdecisions at gmail.com.